This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is World Changing Ideas, and I'm Amelia Hempel. This season, we're bringing you stories from changemakers and innovators all around the world, all working to create a better future. So if you're on the hunt for some solutions to the world's problems, then you've come to the right place. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half in half by the end of this decade. That's where we're headed as a nation. But that's not happening. Despite a dip in carbon emissions during the pandemic, the US is still the world's second largest polluter. The country produced 5.6 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide in 2022, and that's up from last year. So who's got some world-changing ideas when it comes to decarbonization? We found three pretty cool characters this week, and each one of them has gone all in on the power of plants. There's a very growing awareness of the importance of lowering our carbon footprint, but also that we are running out or have run out of time to do that. Brilliant Planet CEO Adam Taylor wanted to develop a nature-based solution to the climate crisis. Our particular method is we grow algae in coastal deserts. So it's got to be the desert and it's got to be at the coast. Uh, we grow marine species of algae, so saltwater-based uh, based algae. We grow those algae up over the course of a month. In the process of growing, they absorb carbon. With a background in developing fish farms in East Africa, Taylor had in mind something that could scale up quickly and have maximum impact. I mean, algae are the source of all life on, on Earth. They were the earliest photosynthesizers. They are what put the oxygen into the atmosphere. You know, algae are effectively just little photosynthesis machines. Plants and trees come later. So what most of us think of as just that green sludge layer on ponds actually accounts for at least 50% of the photosynthesis that takes place on Earth. There's over 30,000 different species of these little water organisms, and they're basically a huge deal when it comes to soaking up large amounts of carbon dioxide. My co-founder, Raphael, our chief scientist, he developed and patented uh, about eight years ago a method of growing algae very, very quickly and very cost-effectively. So these are large open ponds, they're very affordable to build, within which the algae can grow at about one-tenth of the time that, you know, in the biofuel sort of boom and bust in the 90s, we grow the algae about 10 times faster and for about one-tenth of the price. So we're very good at growing algae quickly. We don't use any GMO algae and it's not genetically engineered. It is all about the system of how we grow the algae. We can use the system for any strains. In just one month, Brilliant Planet can turn one cup of green algae into enough to fill a 10-storey apartment block the size of two football fields. The next challenge, though, was finding enough space to get the process going. So there's a lot of coastal desert uh, globally because there's not a lot of activity there. It's not something that's high on people's minds, obviously. They started off on the coast of South Africa, then Oman, and now Morocco. 
because the desert has really no other biological productivity, particularly we tend to be on flat salt plans, so just not even a blade of grass would grow, we're not replacing anything else. You know, this truly is new carbon dioxide removal. So how does the whole process work? Well, first, they pump the local seawater into the algae pools and then let gravity slowly pull the water down through the system as the algae blooms grow. And then at the end of the process, we filter the algae out of the water. We dry them. We dry them in the sun so it doesn't take a lot of energy, again, because we're in the desert. And we bury them in a shallow and cost-effective burial that locks away that uh, carbon for several hundred or even thousands of, uh, of years. And the filtered water is released out into the ocean again. In this process, we deacidify the seawater that goes through our system. So for every one unit of seawater we bring in, we deacidify the equivalent of five units of seawater. Which helps sea life and coral reefs to grow in the surrounding marine area. And we're also creating, just due to where deserts are, are located, we're creating a lot of high quality jobs in these vulnerable rural areas. You know, our Moroccan team is over 50% female in a very traditional area where normally, you know, ladies are staying home in the kitchen raising, raising kids. We have lots of female scientists down on the side, so it brings great social opportunities as well. Taylor explained that it's really important for the whole process of growing, drying, and burying the algae to use as little energy as possible. That would result in emissions, depending on your source of power. So we spent a lot of time over the last years optimizing every single little bit of this system. So that all sounds great, but can this process even make a dent in the huge amounts of global warming gases that industries are pumping out every year? Say we need to remove approximately 10 gigatons of CO2 from the air per year. You know, there are a lot of large sectors of the economy that are fundamentally very hard to uh, to decarbonize. You know, even if everybody buys a Tesla, that is not going to solve uh, the, 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 the carbon emissions globally. But let's say even if it's 10 gigatons of carbon that we need to, to remove sort of in line with their, their forecasts, um, the entire global petrochemical industry is four gigatons per year. So we, if we are looking at removing 10 gigatons a year by 2050, that is building the equivalent of two and a half of the global oil industry. And I've done some back of the envelope math. You know, Saudi Aramco, world's biggest oil producer, the um, second largest company on the planet, we would need to produce a new Saudi Aramco every 18 months between now and 2050 to sequester 10 gigatons a year. So it is a Herculean task that we have ahead of us. Eek. Not ideal. Brilliant Planet has raised several rounds of funding to keep scaling up. And Taylor says that in the future, they're hoping to sell carbon offsets to large companies and perhaps put their carbon credits on the open market too. But our intention is very much eventually to start licensing this out to local governments, communities, corporations, NGOs, so that other people can undertake this activity. Not to be confused with algae, seaweed is also a valuable climate change solution. Well, seaweed, probably, even if you didn't notice that you have been uh, consuming some seaweed today, you have some toothpaste, or you have a croissant, or a beer, or a yogurt, normally as a, as a gelling agent or as a thickener. It's used quite a lot on the textile industry as well, it's used on pharma. So there's quite a lot of existing markets at the moment for seaweed. Rodrigo Garcia Gonzalez started his company Notpla, you know, like not plastic, with the goal of totally getting rid of plastic packaging forever. And basically, we started to look for alternatives to be able to 
packaged water without using plastic. And we end up in seaweed as a, as a material. We made in our kitchen, in, in our student apartment, these little blobs of water. And we made a video online. We put the recipe under Creative Commons so everyone could replicate it. And that video started to get quite a lot of visibility. I think it got up to 60 million views almost overnight. Uh, so it went quite viral and that gave us quite a lot of insights because other people started to replicate the same recipe and give us a lot of uh, encouragement that there was something else behind this idea that would be worth pursuing. Less plastic production equals fewer carbon emissions and the obvious benefit of less plastic production, win-win. And like algae, growing seaweed also sequesters carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And we have much more seed and land in, in our world. And plants or agriculture is one of the most sustainable ways that we have as a society to produce certain materials. So we do believe that like seaweed is a, it's a great resource. You can have several crops every year, which is really good. You don't need farmland. Uh, you don't need use of fresh water. You don't need fertilizers. You don't need too much human interaction with that seaweed. And basically it has quite a lot of benefits for the coastal kind of like ecosystems. Okay, environmentally friendly, check. But how do you create the kind of packaging that can compete with plastic when it's literally everywhere? So if you think how nature works, you have a peel of a fruit that, that works quite well in terms of matching the shelf life of the content and showing what type of, if you are eating a banana or you are eating an orange. So that's a bit what we're trying to, to get to, to a packaging that is more similar to fruits than a packaging that is more similar to plastic. So it works quite well for things that have like relatively short shelf life, but it's not something that works well if you want to keep your, your product for decades, basically. The most popular product is an edible, tasteless seaweed membrane, kind of like a bubble that holds water. Thousands of the liquid bubbles were used in the 2019 London Marathon to hand out energy drinks to the runners. Then there's a waterproof seaweed coating for cardboard packaging, which is used as an alternative to plastic takeaway boxes. And a recent development is their seaweed paper, which can hold things like powders or dried produce. We're still working with some big partners on the sauce or condiments like Kraft Heinz or Hellman's to package single dose of sauces. We are working with a sport retailer for energy gels, for example, which is quite exciting for us. And yeah, we are trying to work as well with distributors to reach restaurants, basically. Last year, Notplow was awarded an Earthshot Prize, which was set up by Prince William, and they won the category for Building a Waste-Free World. But getting businesses to take a gamble on this new packaging product has been challenging. Some of these companies have made really big investments in uh, plastic lines and their business model rotates around that. So basically, we're trying to challenge that from the core. So how renewable is seaweed as a resource? Are we in danger of over-farming it if this idea really takes off? You have to do this careful and not commit certain mistakes that we have done with land agriculture, like monocultures, for example, or planting in basis or different type of species that they are not local. But we do believe that like, there is a, a huge potential for seaweed. And there are many different types of seaweed to choose from all over the world. 
you can break it down in three different families, red, brown, and green. We use as well quite a lot of red seaweeds. Red seaweed is quite good because you can melt it, while brown seaweed you can't. So brown seaweed, we use it to contain water, and red seaweed, we normally use it for those applications where you want to dissolve the packaging. The next step for Nopla is growing their operations and expanding their products to new markets. They're also working on new kinds of packaging made from organic waste products like nutshells, fruit peels, and vegetable leftovers. So it's, it's quite exciting, this idea again of recreating fruits or using the inspiration that nature provides us. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. What other ways of sucking carbon out of the atmosphere have we got? The obvious one is planting trees, but making that happen can be a huge and pretty costly undertaking. Christian Kroll was determined to change that. I'm the founder of Ecosia, which is a search engine that uses all its profits to fight the climate crisis, especially by planting trees. And we've planted over 165 million trees so far and counting. So basically, every time you search for something online using the Ecosia browser or click on an ad, you're helping to plant some trees. That sounds too easy. I looked at it from a high-level perspective, uh, and if you just look at global CO2 emissions, we still have around 15% of all emissions uh, being caused by the destruction of forests. And that really doesn't make any sense at all to me. If anything, we should be planting forests, but not cut them down. Before he started Ecosia, Kroll had a small business website in Berlin. It was doing pretty well, but he realized that most of the money he was making was going back into paying for Google ads. So I realized that Google had a very good business model. So I thought, why not use that same business model and apply it to doing something good? Kroll also has a pretty unique perspective as a CEO. From the start, he was determined to make sure that all of the profits generated by Ecosia went straight back into tree planting projects. We basically um, bootstrapped the entire, the entire company. So we never took up any external investments, not until today. That also meant, so I didn't have a lot of money either. So we basically really had to build this step-by-step. Step. And uh, in the beginning, I worked together with a few, here and there, a few engineers, freelancers that were willing to help. Uh, our first engineer was actually still going to school. And by, by that, I don't mean university, but to high school. Um, but I'm still very happy that we that we did it that way, because it also means that now we don't have any investors. Nobody is pushing us to do an exit or profit maximization, which means that we can give all the money for solving the climate crisis. And that's what I ultimately care about. So how does the search engine work? We're working with Bing, which is um, Microsoft search engine. Um, so they basically provide much of the algorithm part of our search engine. So we build a lot of things around it, but the core algorithm is basically from Microsoft. And if you click on the ads, the search engine makes money. You can see on the homepage how many trees your personal searches have planted over time. In Germany, for example, it takes about 50 searches to plant a tree. What we're trying to do more and more is that, that we actually add green features to it as well. So, for example, when you're searching for products, then we would highlight the products that are more green, more eco-friendly. Also, when you're searching for companies, then we're highlighting the good companies and also the bad companies. We're giving ratings on that. So we're really helping people to make more informed choices 
by doing that. And then hopefully also, uh, so the idea is, of course, that our users also reduce their own footprint by using us as a search engine. Kroll says that another choice Ecosia has made is not to collect its users' data. Which means that we basically don't know anything about our users. And that is a big plus, I think, on top of being the most climate-friendly search engine, we're also one of the most privacy-friendly. And how do the trees then get planted in all these different locations around the world? So we don't do the tree planting ourselves. We just pick the projects, then do the monitoring, make sure that the trees survive. We actually have a tree planting team and a chief tree planting officer, which uh, I think is something that every every company should have. But then also we use satellite monitoring. Uh, we use AI combined with that to see if any of our tree planting sites, because we have tens of thousands of tree planting sites, if any of our tree planting sites are having any any issues, then we would see that basically from, from the sky. And they're able to monitor the 160 million trees that they've planted so far. We know where they are. And also if trees should die, then we just take them off our counter. I mean, we say that we're planting trees, but what we're actually trying to do is growing trees. But can Ecosia ever compete with the major search engine players like Google that basically own most of the internet? How's it matching up in terms of users? We are also in terms of traffic, we're, we're quite big. We only have around one or a bit less than 1% market share globally. So it doesn't sound so much, but if you look at how many billions of people are searching every day, it's still quite a lot of traffic. So we're actually one of the biggest German websites. We're the biggest European-based search engine, which is it's small compared to Google, but still relatively significant for such a small team. Kroll hopes that this business model will be replicated by other big companies too. We calculated once that if Google did the same as what we are doing, uh, Google could basically reforest the entire planet in just a few years and also solve the entire energy transition in just a few years. So if we had more of those really big and rich corporates following the same model, really taking the climate crisis seriously and really giving everything they can to solve the climate crisis, then this problem would long be solved. But that would require businesses making a huge corporate shift. Yeah, I think the fundamental difference really is the ownership structure. So what we did, I think in 2018, was actually that we did something very similar to what Patagonia has done a while ago, that they basically gave all the shares to a foundation, which means that in our case, it's not possible to take any profits out of the company. It's not possible to sell the company. And that really creates a fundamental change. But if you look at Traditional companies, like 99.9% of companies on this planet are probably run, uh, especially the big corporations. They are owned by shareholders who want uh, profit maximization. So, And that is basically then the root cause for all the decisions that are made in the corporation. In the end, it's important to deliver dividends to the shareholders. And even though many companies say that their purpose is to organize the world's information, for example, if you really look at it, then their purpose actually is to make money for their shareholders. So our only shareholder is basically our planet and all the beings living on that planet. So we're optimizing very, very differently. Kroll hopes that the next generation will be even more invested in using business solutions to solve the climate crisis. For me, it's super energizing to meet our users, to talk to them. So whenever you go to a climate protest, for example, when, when we do that in Berlin especially, then you have a lot of young people who, who almost freak out when they see a Nicosia t-shirt, which is super, super awesome. So especially for this young generation, we're really, really a role model, I think, as a business. 
Okay, that's all for our show today. I'm Amelia Hempel, and we want to hear about the world-changing ideas going on where you are. Which of today's three startups was your favorite? Let us know on Instagram or on TikTok, and please leave us lots of comments and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Press the subscribe button right now, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Our show is produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis, and senior VP of entertainment Scott Meebus. Listener.